clutch, hit the gear, hit the gas, and I'm gone. Yeah. If I can't do it, homie, it can't be done. Now I'ma let the champagne bottle pop. I'ma take it to the top. Show, I'ma make it hot. Welcome, Pewter Report readers, viewers, and listeners to a brand new edition of the Pewter Report podcast, Energized by Celsius, the official energy drink of PewterReport.com. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, with the Bucks having a very, very busy schedule this week. We moved around our podcast schedule as well to time everything up with your favorite football team. So it is a Wednesday, but it is our first episode of the week and we are starting off with a bang as we spoke to all of the offensive coaches for your Tampa Bay Buccaneers and because there's a lot of new faces in the house a lot new insight a lot more information about this Buccaneers team this offense how they're going to look this year and which players in particular a lot of this coaching staff is fond of so uh, I'm your host Matt Matera joined with me is SR Scott Reynolds pewterreport.com and Scott I think there's a lot to take away from these press conferences today specifically with the head man calling the plays Dave Canales and just what this offense is going to look like and the overall outlook of the quarterback situation because we haven't even seen them hit the field yet yeah but Dave Canales is in love with Baker Mayfield yeah he really is I mean that was pretty apparent today and as we've kind of talked about before it's not Baker's job yet, but he's the leader in the clubhouse, right? I mean, he has a lot of the things that that um, that that Dave Canales is is looking for, um, and you know, it's going to come down to who turns the ball over less. It's not about who makes the plays necessarily; it's about who turns the ball over the fewest amount of times from the quarterback position. Uh, that's something he alluded to today, and if you are, you know, if you're uh, Kyle Trask, and you're looking for an edge, don't turn the ball over. That's the biggest thing. Because if Baker comes out guns a-blazing and he, you know, is uh, is a little careless with the ball, trying to do too much, make too many things happen in OTAs and training camp in the preseason, that's how Kyle Trask can really even this thing out. But to hear what Todd or what Baker Mayfield said uh, or what Dave Canales said about Baker Mayfield, uh, he says, I like his presence. He has such – a uh, great swag. He steps into the huddle he, and he belongs. He comes in here, meaning the media room. He lights up the room. He's a good dude, knows how to connect with people. The game is never too big for him. The bullets start flying. He always stays cool. I mean, you can tell that he's already had an impact uh, just within a week or two of being around Dave Canales. I'm talking about B- Baker Mayfield. And uh, there was a, a lot of, of you know Baker Mayfield uh, talk today. From Dave Canales and from Thad Lewis. And also, too, I think the thing that we we really kind of learned is this offensive line is really starting to take shape in terms of the starting five. And that's something we can get into in just a second. Yeah, uh, a lot of great information from Dave Canales and also Harold Goodwin and Joe Gilbert. They run the offensive line. And we kind of got already a, a good sense of who is going to be starting, at least tentatively, for training yeah. camp and everything like that. The Bucs already have an idea of who's going to be their starting offensive uh, starting offensive lineman for yeah. Tampa Bay this year. But to go back to Baker, um, you know, he talked about the skill set, what he brings. And I think what Dave Canales really loved more than anything else are things that can't be coached. It wasn't like reading an offense or throwing the deep ball down the right. field. He loved the way that Baker connected 
with all of his new teammates already, how he lights up a room when he walks into it. These are things yeah. that you can't teach. These are just leadership qualities that yeah. I think sometimes can be formulated over time, but some guys are just born with it. And Baker, we know he's got that chip on his shoulder. He comes in with that type of attitude. The other part of it, and I'll play the video in just a moment about Dave Canales talking yeah. about Baker Mayfield, which you can also see in our social media on Instagram, Facebook, and et cetera. But they had a, he didn't say heart to heart, but the way he described it, it very much felt like a getting yeah. to know you, identifying each other on the same level. You know, it's, it hasn't been easy for Baker the past couple of years. Sure. You know, kind of guy ran out of Cleveland for a guy that isn't a good guy, um, you know, with Deshaun Watson. And yeah. then goes to the Panthers, and it didn't work out with the Panthers. Right. And now he's a man without a home, goes to L.A. And, yeah, it was great for a little bit. But at the end of the day, they said, thanks, but we're still going to go with Matt Stafford. So, you know, Baker's been through the ringer a little bit and he kind of talked about just kind of freeing his mind and accepting whatever's going to go you know going with the motion yeah of the ocean so uh let's get to this video of dave canales talking uh, specifically about what he likes about baker mayfield yeah um i just like his presence he just has such a great uh swag you know steps into the huddle he belongs he comes right in here you light up the room you know he just He's a good dude and he just knows how to connect with people. That's what I've been most excited. And then of course, like the game's never too big for him. The bullets start flying and he stays cool, you know? And so I love that about him. Um, and as far as our system, our system's pretty friendly in terms of, you know, who the player is and what type of athlete they are. Um, because we do have so many, so many uh, different ways to get to the right play. Um, it ends up becoming pretty friendly for any type of quarterback. Now, what I love, the quarterback to be the fastest guy on the field and to be a dynamic, you know, playmaker out of the pocket and all that stuff. Absolutely. You know, that's, that's a dream. Cause when they do take off to scramble, they just get more yards, but um, yeah, we don't necessarily have a physical mold for that. Well, from him. And when we first signed him, he came into my office and we sat for a couple hours. And the biggest message that he was sending to me was, you know, I just, I just learned to let go and to just be ready for whatever opportunity because he thought it was going to be Carolina. Here we go. I'm going to be here. And then Carolina said, no, Cleveland said, no, you know, he goes to the Rams and the Rams were happy to have him at that time. But then they eventually say no, because they have Stafford. So he's been told no enough times where you can, I can feel the hunger that he has for wanting to reestablish himself as a starter and to really have the type of career he envisioned the Browns envisioned for him taking him number one overall. Um, but there is a, there is something in him right now where there's like this release where he's like, I know what I got to do today. That's good enough. And so I can feel that from him. It's not a, you know, a, an anger or, or any type of resentment for what happened. It's more like, look at this cool opportunity. So really in-depth information yeah. from Dave Canal. So it's just like, Hey, he really wants to be here. It was like, man, I, I looked into this man's soul and I saw like, what he <laughs> wants to do and, yeah. and how it's going to look. So, I ask you, Scott, we have a we have a couple other videos we can play. There's one in particular I do want to play when talking about the competition between Baker and Kyle Trask. But do you look at this as a completely open competition or is it Baker's job to lose outside of just don't turn the ball over too much? Because if he comes in and then instantly throws five interceptions, then I yeah. think it's wide open. But Baker, I just think, gives the Bucks the best chance to win. So why limit his reps already or you know is it really a 50 50 type of thing 
Yeah, I, th- I think, uh, you know, Rick Stroud asked that question today, right? He, he said, hey, you've got a guy with an awful lot of experience here, and you got a guy that's thrown, has completed three passes in Kyle Trask. There's a big gap right there. So so why even make it a competition? Why not just go with the more experienced hand? And, and I liked what Dave Canales had to say. There is some merit to, to Rick's point. Like, it's better because you're, you're starting to prepare for the season opener. And we'll find out who that season opener is tomorrow, Matt. Yes. Uh, just a, a quick little, if you will, uh, humor me for one second here. Yeah, we, we've got this, uh, the Bucks schedule release show tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So make sure you join us. That's tomorrow's Peter Report podcast, 8 p.m. We're going to go live right when the schedule is fully released. I'm sure there'll be some games and dates that leak out during the day. And we'll have those on Peter Report social media. But make sure that you tune in tomorrow night for our Bucks schedule release podcast. But getting back to, to Baker, I, I think the biggest takeaway that Canales made, and it really made a lot of sense, is he talked about in Seattle having Geno Smith and uh, Drew Locke in, in that quarterback battle. He said, when you make it an open competition, uh, both of those guys for six months believe that they can be the starter. And you have that mindset in both of them, and they push each other, etc., if you go in and say Baker's the starter, then all of a sudden Kyle Trask starts thinking like a backup quarterback. And maybe Baker's not getting pushed enough. Or if if Kyle Trask is, is needed at some point in time early in the season, he hasn't had that mental edge of being on edge as I can really win the starting job. And if you go back and, and look last year at the results of that, Matt, Geno Smith ended up becoming the starter, and it worked out pretty well. He had his first Pro Bowl season. Yeah. It was the comeback player of the Got year. A nice contract, yeah. Exactly. By taking their time and going through this process, and, and it wasn't really a detriment to the Seahawks uh, at all, right? I mean, they, they still had a good season. Geno Smith certainly had a great season for, for himself. Um, even without being that rock-solid starter at the beginning of training camp or – you know, after the first or second preseason game, it went all the way through to the season opener before that decision was made. So I think that's how Dave Canales is looking at this is, is he wants to take this all the way to the end. And I think both of these quarterbacks are going to be given enough time and reps with the starters that they'll both be equally prepared. But that was the takeaway I got from this, Matt. Very much talked about having a, uh, a patient approach to all of this with Baker, with Kyle. I mean, he said he's, doesn't even have like all the install of his offense and, and right. his system yet. So he's surely um, going to take his time when it comes to uh, figuring, out, figuring out who's going to be the starter. And for those that want to hear the voice of Dave Canals, this was his response to uh, that question. Benefit any team to, to as quickly as possible say, that's our starter. I'm sorry. It, it, you know, we we can. It, it sounds good, yeah. We're like PR sometimes, yeah. But we know who we're. You know, let's get to that right now, right. instead of hey, let's split the reps and it's a true competition. Like right. I know that sounds great, but is it is it is it really the best interest of the team and what you're going to do in September, which is what this is really about? Yeah, I think philosophically, for me coming from Seattle, best guy gets the job. So you saw it happen last year firsthand. It was Geno Smith. It was Drew Locke, and it was a true competition. And you got a guy who hadn't played in a long time. You got a guy who had some pretty bad experiences in, re- in, the, in the recent past with Drew. And so 
For me, it's a win-win when you create a competition. Here's why. If you name a starter today, the backup guy starts thinking like a backup, okay? But if you say, this is a competition, we're gonna allow us to go into the preseason, let them show us they can manage to get us into the right play, they can take care of the ball, that's gonna be the determining factor, really, is who takes care of the ball. And then the bonus is, now who pushes it down the field? You know, but if we can play great defense, run and take care of the ball, we're gonna be a great team. So the guy who can show that um, is gonna win the job. And so for me, what I end up getting out of Drew and Gino is two guys who had to mentally put themselves in a place where I could be, I'm going to be the starter this year. They trained that way all the way through the last game in the preseason, we're in Dallas. And Drew's playing for his job. Gino's playing for his job. They both know that. Game one, I got a starter in Gino, and I got a backup who's been thinking he's a starter for six months. Whoever won the job was gonna be our starter, but the other guy was gonna bring so much more value and confidence to our room. And it was, that. so that kind of was has been our philosophy, um, and I would like to take it as far as I can. But of course, the head coach, the general manager, we're gonna all have discussions, you know, and they'll, like I told uh, Jason early on, I said, I will coach the crap out of whoever you give me and whoever we decide to, but I'll have them both ready. But one guy has played a whole hell of a lot more than he yeah. attempted four passes, and the people in this building should know him right. pretty well by now. So it doesn't, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's a big variance in terms of like who they are and what they've accomplished. And yeah. Uh, you know, I think, and I think uh, circumstantially, you know, if Kyle would have had more opportunities, you know, I'd love to see what would have happened with those. So, um, I don't think we need to rush to make any decisions, in my opinion. Um, wait as long as you can, as long as possible. Um, our offense and defense, they don't need us to name a starter. Trust me, we got studs up front on the offensive line, veteran presence. We got veteran presence at the wide receiver position. We got a really good group of backs there. So, and the defense is fantastic and the way we're building it, even with the draft, this is not a team that's like, we gotta know who this starter is gonna be so that we can move forward and, and figure out who we're gonna be. I don't, I don't think so. You know, I think the way that we're gonna play it, um, I'll have both guys ready to be really, really successful and efficient in what we're doing. Well, one thing that's funny with Dave Canals is uh, he almost loves the Bucks defense more, <laughs> more than like the offense yeah. itself. He's like, man, we got this great defense and as long as we have a great defense, we're gonna be all right because we're going to, hold on to the football and hey, I, I thought he answered the whole part about Kyle Trask because that's the one arguing point for Kyle is well he hasn't gotten a lot of playing time he hasn't worked with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and and everything like that and Canales essentially as you saw in the video said yeah I mean but you never know what he could have looked like if that's he right did, if he did work with them I do feel though as if the Bucs have already seen Kyle Trask for two years like what more do they really need to see and I get the whole Mike and Chris thing, uh, but I thought it was very interesting how he um, how he answered that. And then he started talking about the offensive line as well. If we want to transition into, uh, we spoke with Harold Goodwin and yes. Joe Gilbert next. They both run the offensive line. Uh, Harold Goodwin also is an assistant head coach. Yeah. And you know, of course, we asked a lot about Cody Mock. Everyone wants to know about him. We all fell in love with him on draft night. But there was another offensive lineman. We'll, we'll talk about Luke Edicke and and Tristan yeah. Wirfs as well. Maybe didn't get as much attention when the Bucs did sign him in free agency. But these Bucs coaches absolutely love 
Matt Filer. I mean, yeah. we did ask you asked him a question about Matt Filer specifically. Uh, it was either Goodwin or, or Gilbert, but Canales and and Goody and Gilbert also went out of their way to talk about they really Matt Filer as well. He has starting experience from his days with the Chargers and even before that, the Pittsburgh Steelers. And it looks like he's going to be penciled in as the starting uh, left guard next yeah. to a new left tackle, Tristan Wirfs, uh, going right. into this uh, OTAs and training camp. Yeah, it was all pretty much uh, confirmed that at least in pencil right now, we're up on the chalkboard. They are, and I put the story along with your story, Matt, uh, in the, the chat here, so you can check that out on PeterReport.com. But, but both of these... These guys on the left side are just massive. You're looking at a six foot five, 345 pound. Don't look at the roster. Tristan Wirfs is 345 pounds. And he's going to be the starting left tackle. He's gotten rave reviews so far for making the transition. His attitude's great. He's got plenty of time to make that transition from right tackle to left tackle. But the installation of Matt Filer at left guard gives them a much bigger presence. Even Luke Gedeke last year, 6'5", 312. That's a big man. They downsized a little bit when Nick Leverett was, was the starting left guard for the second half of the season. But Matt Filer, you're looking 6'5", 6'6", 330 pounds. Then you got Ryan Jensen in there, about 320 pounds. That's a lot of beef on the left side, Matt. That, that's a huge, huge uh, side of, of the line there. And, and it's a very experienced side of the line, right? Even though Tristan Wirfs doesn't have starting experience at the NFL on the left side, he played left tackle for three games at Iowa, started there. So he's got some experience doing it. And then speaking of college, you look at Lou Gedeke, and he's going to be moving to the right side of the line. And I think that's really going to help him. He's He's been, you know, uh, beaten up a little bit in the press from other fans, and that's understandable. But the thing with Gedeke is, he was more comfortable playing at the right side. He's right-hand dominant, as Goodwin said. And so you're going to see him at, at the right tackle spot. They liked what they saw from him in the Falcons game. And then you've got Cody Mock probably penciled in at right guard. 6'5", 305 pounds. So this is a bigger offensive line than it was last year with you know little old Shaq Mason at 6'1", 300 pounds. Um, and, and Nick Leverett in there, who's just around 300 himself. So a bigger version of the offensive line and bigger faster stronger is essentially that's is what essentially, they're going for yeah essentially what tampa Bay's offensive line is going for as far as the left side you're right they got some absolute hosses yeah. on the on the left side of the offensive line with byler and uh, tristan Wirfs. and if tristan Wirfs ends up being an all pro i mean this is going to go down as one of the greatest draft picks of all time not just in in Buccaneers history, but yeah. NFL history with the way that all of the uh, the tackles went off the board in that sure. year's draft class. With Gattaki, I really just wonder, because we're about to see it with Cody Mock. Mock played offensive tackle at North Dakota, then they kick him inside when he gets to the NFL. And hopefully it works out. Yeah. Um, but I'm just curious, like, what they saw with Gattaki that out of the gate when they drafted him last year – okay, he's not going to be an offensive tackle. We're going to kick him at guard. And then, unfortunately, he plays poorly enough where we where they yeah. go, I, well, I think what it was, it. let's try right tackle again. I think you what it was, what it was the physicality. And and uh, offensive linemen get to be more physical in the run game than they do in pass protection, right? Because then you're in attack mode. And let's face it, the Buccaneers had the fewest rushing attempts in the league last year. The league's 
worst ranked rushing attack. And, you know, and, and so I, I think that we're going to see, we're going to see him fare better as a run blocker than a pass protector, probably at right tackle than, than he did at left guard. Uh, Matthew Sams with a question. What happened to our guy that got hurt last preseason, Aaron Stinney? He did resign for a year, but he's going to have an uphill battle making the team. I'm just being honest. I know he helped out and filled in during the, the Super Bowl run, filling in for Alex Kappa at right guard. But if if I'm being honest, the, the problem with Stinney is he is just a guard. He's strictly just um, a, a guy that, that doesn't have the position flexibility. Nick Leverett. We've seen him play center, everywhere. <laughs> play left tackle, right, in the preseason. Brandon He's got Hall. that position versatility. Uh, Robert Hainsey can play center. We saw that last year. He can also play guard. He was a college right tackle. Stinney is just a guard. And unless there's some some serious injuries and knock on wood, hopefully that's not the case, I, I think it's going to be a very big uphill battle for him. Without that position flexibility as a backup, you look at, at Brandon Walton. He can play left tackle, right tackle. He can play guard. Versatility is key on the offensive line, and Stinney's lack of versatility, I think, is going to hurt him. That's the other part of all of this. We just talked about the "quote unquote" starters for the Bucks yeah. offensive line. I absolutely love the depth amongst the offensive line, yeah. specifically for that versatility. Hainsey just got a lot of work last year as a starter and playing center and can play guard. Nick right. Leverett started for a majority of the season. So I, and Brandon Wallen got a little bit of playing time last year as well. I yeah. love the depth that the Bucks have specifically at the interior offensive line, but yeah. we'll see how Walton progresses in training camp uh, at, at offensive tackle. Yeah. I love the versatility that this offensive line brings. And you heard Harold Goodwin talk about it. He said, we got a good group. We just got to stay healthy, but they are right. really checking off every single box just in case something happens to Tristan just in case something happens to Ryan Jensen this year, where they're going to cover every single base with the depth of this offensive line because it killed them last year, whether it was a fragmented run game or just so many injuries to the offensive line. It hurt them deeply last year, and they learned from that mistake, and they're not going to let it happen this year. Not every injury is preventable, but they are doing their damnedest to figure it out. So uh, let's hear from some of the Bucs offensive line coaches about – uh, Gattaki moving to right tackle, Tristan at left tackle, Filer and everyone else in between. Where he's going to get his reps at, at the right tackle position, or is he also going to be looked inside at guard as well? Well, it depends on what happens at tackle, but right now he's trending towards right tackle. Uh, I think Dave has already told you guys that uh, Tristan and, and Matt are on the left, so okay. right now he's penciling it at the right, and so far so good. So. Okay. In the system before coming from San Diego, there's some carryover there. Um, he's strong, he's athletic. You know, um, he's a man of few words, but he uh, he goes out in his work ethic. You know, and that's one thing. Just really impressed with the entire group right now. Um, you know, this is voluntary, and these guys come to work and really working on their craft. You know, it, it is every day. It has been that part's been really great. You know, sometimes guys get out there and kind of go through the motions, and that has not been the case at all. Yeah, you know, not having Ryan here right now, you know, obviously he'll be an integral part, you know, in the middle. But uh, I think we're figuring out the edges, you know, and I'm sure, you know, I know Dave kind of alluded to it a little bit that um, we've got Luke out of tackle right now, kind of like we ended up in Atlanta uh, with him out there. And so far he's looked really good, looks comfortable. 
Um, and then we've moved Tristan over to left. Um, and, you know, he's had unbelievable attitude with it. Um, and, you know, every day looks better and better and more comfortable. Obviously, that's going to be a process. Um, but I think so far uh, it's coming along uh, very well, you know. And, again, it's muscle memory. It's all those little things that he's had, uh, you know, a million and five reps over at the right side and now trying to, you know, do the same over on the left. So it's, it's a little bit of a process out there. But he has got the right attitude in that. And, uh, you know, you put him and Matt Filer over at left guard, when you line those guys up in Jensen, it, it looks pretty good. It looks the way it's supposed to look, that's for sure. And so um, it's good. And then, of course, uh, they talked a lot about, oh, you want to talk about Celsius? I'm well, I'm, I'm just saying, he mentioned Tristan Wirfs, the number one pick, right? I mean, just a couple yeah. of years ago, he's already the best offensive lineman in team history. I mean, I've been around long enough to make that claim. And listen, you can make Celsius your number one pick, right? I mean, you can't get Tristan Wirfs. He's his own man. But you can get a can of Celsius. Get the new Oasis vibe. It's one of my absolute favorite flavors. I got some morning flavors like sparkling orange, which is still – one of my absolute favorites, more of the sweeter side. Um, Matt, what are some of the sweeter ones that you like to drink in the morning to get your day started? Whoa, tropical vibe. Can't go there wrong go. with that. I actually have that on me at the moment. Arctic vibe is my favorite flavor of all time. Yep. Can't go wrong with the sparkling orange or uh, strawberry lemonade. Sparkling there strawberry lemonade has been one that is heavily into my rotation as yep. well. Well, when you look at the afternoon flavors for me, it's it's that sparkling lemon-lime. It is absolutely fantastic and not nearly as sweet as those lemon-lime soft drinks that you might like, but it's got great flavor. And then that Oasis vibe. It's the new one. It's available exclusively at Target for right now, sparkling prickly pear and lime. And where can you get Celsius? Well, it's real easy. All you have to do is go to Celsius.com, click on that store locator, type in your address, and you will find all sorts of, of places where you can get Celsius, like, I don't know, uh, convenience stores, grocery stores, health and fitness stores. Your bodega. Uh, bodega. Celsius, our number one pick for energy drinks is the official energy drink of Peter Report. No sugar, no, means no sugar crash. All the energy that you need, make sure you're starting your day off with a Celsius. Uh, one last thing on the Bucks' offensive line. Um, they're obviously very excited about Cody Mock, they talked a lot about him potentially being the starting right guard going into the season. Yeah. Uh, there's a common theme, whether it's Dave Canales, I'll play the video in a second, whether it's Canales, uh, Goody, or Gilbert, they kept hammering home, Senior Bowl, Senior Bowl, Senior Bowl. Yeah. He did at the Senior Bowl. That's why we go to these things, pewter people. That's right. Because the stars show out, the Bucks fall in love with certain guys. And you got to credit the Senior Bowl for Robert Hainsey, how he That's got right. on the Bucks radar, and Cody Mock as well. Also Payne Durham. Payne Durham was there yeah, at the Senior Payne, Bowl yeah, as well. Yeah, Payne Durham so, too. Yeah. Don't want to uh, don't want to shortchange him either. Uh, let me get this video. Uh, yep, there we go. So Cody Mock, ladies and gentlemen. Players in the draft, um, just his tenacity in the run game. His athleticism, um, he truly could play all five spots on the offensive line. He's got that kind of talent. He lacks a little bit of that, you know, huge size element that you really want for some of the positions, but he's so versatile. Um, he's a fantastic player. You turn on Cody's tape in college, you know, he's sitting there, he's pancaking, throwing people. It's real violent, it's real nasty. 
But you think about the level of competition, no knock on those guys in the league he played on. But you go watch the senior bowl practices, you watch the senior bowl game, and he's bouncing around the offensive line against the SEC, the ACC type players, and he's kicking A. Uh, you get impressed. And he's a guy that can legit play five spots. You know, I'm excited about the guy. He's bugging me. He's bugging Joe. He wants to play book. I'm like, hey, big fella, just slow down. <laughs> we got plenty of time. Just slow down. But, you know, him and Ryan next together, along with Matt, and next to Luke, who I'm excited. A lot of guys are going to get mashed in the ground. Flips during the draft, and he goes, me, him, and Matt are going to F some people up. <laughs> so that right there gets me excited. Uh, and I'm just happy to have big guys, guys that eat up space. We look great when we get off the bus. You know, I think of the days, the good old days of Allie and Cap, big dudes, along with Ryan, along with Donnie, just having big, girthy guys that can move the front. I'm excited about those days again. And the biggest thing, we got guys that can do it no matter who's in there. We just got to stay healthy. It's funny, when you, when you watch guys coming from smaller schools sometimes, it's hard to evaluate because you're trying to evaluate, okay, hey, can he play against the bigger guys, you know, this, that, more of the things they see that uh, as you're evaluating him. Um, you know, you can see his athleticism, you know, obviously his size, his numbers are his numbers. Um, but what really gave me uh, a pretty good picture of the kid is the senior bowl. And when he went there and played every five positions, he tackled, he was at guard, he was at center. He picked up the ball and played center and no one told him to do it. And when he went, he did a pretty good job at it, you know? So it was one of those things where you're like, okay, this guy can get it, you know? And he moved up our board pretty quick, you know, after, and for me, it was a senior bowl. Um, and I have no doubt that he'll come in here, compete. Um, and in my opinion, that's what it's all about. You know, I know some of you mentioned, right, that, you know, young parts and all that. And, you know, he's gonna come in and he's gonna have an opportunity to be one of those parts, you know, and, and at the end of the day, we just wanna get the best five on the field. A more attitude as well? There's no doubt. I mean, you got Matt, who's got attitude, Ryan and him in there, they're gonna, they're gonna get after some people now. That, that's gonna be a fun thing to watch, that's for sure. So um, I, there ain't no doubt about that. And, um, yeah, so they clearly love Cody Mock. After you imagine Ryan Jensen playing next to Cody Mock. It's almost like little, little brother, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Syndrome there. Yeah, it's going to be super fun seeing what they can do as a unit together. Yeah. Um, after the offensive line, we spoke to a coach that is new in Tampa Bay. Yeah. Familiar with Tampa Bay, but new right. to the Tampa Bay coaching staff. That was wide receivers coach Brad Isaac. So, I find it so interesting the situation that he's in because he's coming in as one of the new offensive coaches. And there yeah. were some changes, obviously, Skip Pete, who we'll talk about in a little right. bit. But he's the only coach coming in that knows the system of Dave Canales, what he's yeah. bringing in on offense. But on That's the right. flip he's, side, he did Canales' right hand man. Exactly. Yeah. He's his consigliere. Now, yeah. on the flip side, he's got to learn about, I mean, we all know Mike Evans. We know Chris Godwin. Yeah. You can watch the tape on him. But just getting to know how they tick, who they are as a person, Russell Gage as well, and on and on. All the other coaches know these guys and have worked with these guys. Yeah. So it's a little bit of like a tit for tat. Like, I'll I'll help you out with the playbook a little bit more. Right. But you got to give me the insight on Mike, Chris, Russell, yeah. everybody else. So I thought that's such an interesting situation that he's in. Yeah. And just another thing, really learning about Brad Itzik. Uh, what he's going to bring, what the plan is for these wide receivers. They got big, big plans for Chris Godwin going into this year. They spoke a lot about yeah. Chris Godwin. Yeah, they did. And and I think the biggest thing with Chris is 
he was in that slot position in Bruce Arians' offense, that Larry Fitzgerald role where he was force-fed a ton of plays down the seam, but he also took a beating, right? We saw the Saints game where, you know, he got uh, his knee taken out. You know, he's going up against linebackers and safeties a lot in the slot, and they like his ability to win on the outside, that he has the Jets still to to separate – and, and win some one-on-one matchups on the outside. So this is a different offense where he's not going to be asked to do as much in the run game in the, in the slot. He's going to be playing more outside receiver, which really is is what he did in Dirk Cutter's offense when he first came to Tampa in 2017-2018 before Arians got here in 2019. So probably not the volume of targets for Godwin, um, and hopefully not nearly as many wide receiver screens, predictable Please wide God. receiver screens. Right? Please, God, no more wide <laughs> yeah. receiver screens. But you're going to see, I think, Chris Godwin going down the field more, right? If you look at that Seattle offense, DK Metcalf on one side, Tyler Lockett on the other, and if those guys would go vertical quite a bit. And, and I think that you're going to see that with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. You might see more Russell Gage in the slot. But when when Chris is asked to go into the slot, he knows what to do. He's been doing it so well for so many years. I thought it was really interesting what Idzik had to say. And funny enough, he compared Chris Godwin to Larry Fitzgerald. And that's what we've talked about a lot since Bruce Arians and this offense got here that Chris Godwin's going to play the Larry Fitzgerald role and blah, blah, blah. He's going to do great in the slot, which he absolutely did like that. He nailed that to a T. But what I thought was really cool is he said, you know, when Larry Fitzgerald, as he got older in age, you know, moved to the slot and was able to just use his overall, you know, knowledge of the game yeah. and reading defenses and things like that. And he clearly reiterated, he's like, Chris Godwin is not at that point yet. He's still very explosive yeah. on the outside. And we have big plans for what Chris Godwin is going to do this season. And yeah, yeah. he can do great things on on the outside. So maybe those receptions go down a little bit. And let's remember, he broke a box record last sure. year with all, you know the, what? all the receptions that he had, but he's going to have more explosive plays. Yeah. Th- that yards per catch is going to go up. I mean, he's yes. a guy that's averaged, you know, 14 yards per catch at, at some certain seasons of his career. Last year, it was under 10 because coming back from that injury, didn't have the explosiveness. Uh, Tom Brady quickly getting rid of the ball to a lot of underneath passes to Chris Godwin. And he was, you know, uh, tackle before he could do anything with the ball. Now you're going to see him stretch the field vertically a little bit more. I think that's going to be exciting. And guess what, Matt? There was no rehabbing of an injury this offseason yes. for Chris Godwin. He got to rest, right? He got to to have several months of where he didn't have to do anything in terms of rehab and strengthening that knee. He got to rest. And I think we're going to see more of the old Chris Godwin this year. We started to see glimpses of it at the end of last year. Now I think you're going to see back to that pre-injury Chris Godwin. That's a pretty exciting thing. Yeah, it's mentioned that as well, coming off of the knee injury and how they're not going to put him in harmful situations where you could argue giving him stupid bubble screens where he's got to break 15 tackles sometimes could put him in a harmful situation. That's how he got hurt right away. So here's more from Brad Isaac. Um, When you you talk about some of the best receiver rooms in the league, um, to be a part two of them now is, is uh, a real blessing. Um, just talk about pros too. You talk about the people. Um, so talking to Mike on the phone and, and getting him in this building, getting him part of this group, all, everything you hear uh, about him and his approach um, has been phenomenal. You talk about Chris and working with him and watching him be an extension of me on the field as a coach. 
um, that that helps. That really helps. Um, and then the athletic stuff that they can do, that they can provide. Um, it's it's hard to to coach all the other guys and say, hey, you guys need to do what Mike and Chris do because they're special athletes, and, and everyone around the league they're trying to they're trying to mimic them. So. Um, it's, a, it's a blessing to be able to work with them and then in bringing other guys along too, like Russell Gage has some really cool special uh, traits that we want to get out of him. Um, he showed it last year and then we're going to continue to progress him and the two young guys that we're working with. Um, really excited about their, their progression as well. So you got two guys that are really kind of shown, shown all the other guys we're going to bring in the building that are, and that are already here. Like this is what your approach needs to look like. They've been doing it for a long time. So I'm, I'm very fortunate. More. You'll, you'll see a little bit of everything. And I know it's kind of like coach speak, right? Oh, I don't want to give away our trade secrets. But uh, Chris, early on, he, he can stretch the field. And that's what I want to continue to remind him uh, of. He can stretch the field. And I know he's coming off of the knee injury from last year. And he's already shown it out there. Like when you put him outside, like this guy's a, he's a problem one-on-one. -on -one. So the things that he brings in the slot, for me, that's a benefit to Chris. And that's stuff that he naturally does. Um, that, that just opens his window up. You, you talked about coming from a room in Seattle where DK, we, we continue to develop his slot work from being an outside receiver. Chris has already shown that and he already has experience with that. So we can use him a lot in a lot of different ways right off the bat. But yeah, I don't think we're gonna lose some of that outside stuff too. When you just say, hey, Chris, go win one-on-one. -on -one. Hey, Mike, go win one-on-one -on -one outside. Absolutely. And that's really the first call I have with him is we want to keep you on the field the best we can. I know you're, you're ready to run through a brick wall for your brother, but we're not going to ask you to do that every play. Yeah. Um, you look at a progression of, I gave him the example of Larry Fitzgerald, right, towards the end of his career. When he started to lose uh, some of his explosion and his downfield ability, then it was he was limited to the slot. Chris is not there yet. Chris still has that ability to win outside, so we don't need him banging every play. And when we ask him to do it, he'll do it willingly, and we love that about him. Um, but we do want to preserve him, too, and we want him playing here for a long time. Yeah, that was good stuff there from from Brad Edzik. And, and, you know, keeping Chris Godwin healthy, that's kind of the last part of that that uh, clip there was, was just they, they want to take him – at a harm's way where he's not crack backing on linebackers and defensive ends in the running game as much and just abusing cornerbacks out there on the edge and, and getting the ball and, and making big plays down the field, moving the chain and scored touchdowns, Matt. Yeah. I mean, hindsight's 2020, but I mean, there were times, even the year that the bucks won the super bowl where Chris Godwin lined up in the backfield and was essentially like a fullback or an extra yeah. tight end to start blocking. And that's a useful tool. But again, looking back at it, kind of makes you think like maybe the Bucks overdid it a little bit with using Chris Godwin as like an extremely physical wide receiver. We got it. He's physical. He can mess corners up. Use it in the right way. And I think yeah. what we're learning from this coaching staff is they're gonna. You're still gonna see a lot of great Chris Godwin. It's just gonna yeah. be a little bit different, and you're not gonna see him just bull rush everybody. And it's yeah. better for Chris he's, Godwin. It's better for this team. He's entering year. Seven, right, Matt? I mean, he's yeah. 2017 draft pick. So, you know, he's 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 been around. And, uh, you know, you have to start preserving. You, you've got a $20 million investment in, in Chris Godwin. you, you got to make sure he's on the field for as many games as possible. And trying to take him a little bit out of harm's way seems to make a lot of sense, especially when he can still win on the outside. We also had a chance to ask him about another receiver, uh, Devin Tompkins. Yes. Who is uh, a very – 
Small, undersized. Yes, that's Jeez, that photo that's, alone. That's not an altered picture, folks. That's Kyle Trask and Devin Tompkins uh, taken after the Tennessee Titans practice last year. Uh, but Tompkins is a player that that has, gosh, I want to say probably around a, a 40, 41 inch vertical, even though he's five eight. He can go up and play big, and he's got some serious wheels, right? He ended up being the return guy at the end of last year, and he will battle Trey Palmer this year for the return job. And, uh, you know, they had a lot of nice things to say about Tompkins and also about Palmer, who's a bigger yeah. guy, six foot, six foot one, close to 200 pounds that, that, uh, like Chris Godwin has some bigger size. He's probably in that Russell Gage esque type of, of body frame. Uh, not quite as big as Chris, but bigger than Devin Tompkins. Right. But he's okay. fast four, three, three speed and has the ability to track the ball deep, and, and really hit some of those explosive plays down the field, really kind of stretch the field, be that game breaker, be the, be the player that they hope that Scotty Miller was. Miller was more of a one-trick pony just going straight down the field, running go routes. I think Palmer can do a little bit more post slants, a little bit quicker, more agile player too. So they're pretty excited about the wide receiver room, even though it's a little uh, light in terms of experience with only Evans, Godwin, and Russell Gage, Matt. This room does have talent. Some of it is just untapped. A couple other names we heard were Rakeem Jarrett, yes. the Maryland uh, undrafted free agent signee, and Cade Warner, the K-Stater, who is the son of, of Kurt Warner, right? The guy that, that just has a really good feel for, for uh, catching the ball. He's probably caught, what, a million passes from his dad ever since he was a little kid, you know? Yeah, and the great Hall of Famers. Yeah, and the great thing is, after Thursday's show, we already ta talked about that. Tomorrow night's show, the Bucks schedule release at eight o'clock. Folks, we're going to be out there for Bucks rookie minicamp on Friday, and at seven p.m., we're going to have day one recap of the Bucks rookie minicamp, and then we'll have day two uh, re recap of the Bucks rookie minicamp on Saturday at seven p.m. So we're going prime time for the next three night, people, uh, Peter people. We'd love to have you join us at eight o'clock tomorrow night for the schedule release. And then Friday and Saturday night at 7 p.m. for the Bucks Rookie Minicamp Day 1 and Day 2 recaps. And we'll have plenty to say about the likes of Cade Warner and Rakeem Jarrett and Cody Mock. And uh, another guy we probably should talk about is the tight end uh, Payne Durham from Purdue. Going to bring the pain. And, yeah, when we spoke to Coach Van Dam, the tight ends coach, um, First of all, he's all for 12 and 13 personnel getting more tight ends on yes. the field, which obviously is great. <laughs> but I think what's important, what, what Durham brings, what I think Kate Otten can add to this season is just the tight end presence in the red zone. I think yeah. that was something that was missing at times last year. Kate Otten obviously had the game-winning touchdown during the season. Um, but I think Durham is really going to help in that role. And, and Van Dam essentially said the best is yet to come. Yeah. When it comes to when it comes to Payne Durham, he was giddy about the value they got for him, like in the round that they picked him. Yeah. Uh, I'm all for the two tight end set. I think it's going to be an exciting look for this team, something a little bit different that we haven't seen in, in a little bit. Because even when like OJ Howard was here with Camp Brayton and Gronk, it was still mostly Gronk and then like someone else blocking and, and Gronk yeah. kind of doing his thing. I, I want to see what both tight ends can do as receivers, as blockers as well. And I think it's going to make a fun little one-two combination. I don't think it's going to be insane in the membrane. I don't think right. it's going to be like, uh, 
you know, a top five duo necessarily, but I think there's a lot of potential for the type of offense. And let's face it, Baker is a veteran, but he's coming into a new system. Kyle Trask, very little experience. They're always going to be looking for that security blanket. And that starts with the tight end. I think these two guys fit the billing. Yeah. And uh, I I think that Dave Canales, um, listen, he's a breath of fresh air in this building. And we'll see. We'll see if this guy does not have any play calling experience in the NFL outside of calling scrimmages in Seattle, right? When it's, you know, ones versus twos, et cetera. Um, But he just has so much confidence about him. And there's a, a level of excitement about this new offense. The offensive line coaches were giddy about the commitment to the running game. Um, you know, uh, I think Harold Goodwin said, I'm a fat guy. We love to run the ball, right? That's, that, <laughs> yeah, that, that's yeah. what he's all about. And, and that's what this offensive line wants to do. Uh, when, whenever you're an offensive lineman and you're running the ball, you're truly on offense. You, you are in attack mode. You're trying to move the line of scrimmage. But when you're in pass protection, which this team has done way too much of over the last couple of years, don't believe me, ask Tom Brady uh, at, at age 40. Four and 45 threw the ball way too many times for his liking. Got drilled. Yeah. Um, you're, you're not on, on, a, on offense anymore. You're, you're essentially, you're on defense. You're building a wall and, and you're trying to stop the oncoming charge of pass rushers. So much easier to, to run the ball, have some balance, and protect the ball. That was key. We heard almost every position coach talk about that, especially Skip Pete, who was, uh, is also a new coach like Brad Idzik. And he talked about protecting the ball. He came from the Dallas Cowboys where none of the running backs fumbled last year. And that's quite a feat. He said, I've never done that in 35 years. But Yeah, we, but, have, uh, yeah, we have the video. Uh, yeah. Of it. yeah. Sure. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Skip Pete. Uh, but yeah, the, the tight ends, you know, transitioning to the, to the running game now. Um, those tight ends are going to be involved. And he had a lot of nice things to say about Rashad White being that number one running back. He did. I also love the way he talked about like the art of absorbing the hit so you don't fumble. I'll, I'll yeah. play both videos so so you get a better idea. Uh, first video is him talking about the running back room, what he's got there, and then he talks about uh, preventing the fumbles that hurt Rashad White a little bit last year. Yeah. Um, I think it's an interesting room. I mean, I know I evaluated uh, Rashad coming out, and I really liked him a lot. Uh, I think he's a very talented Inside runner, guy that has good vision and balance, uh, has ability to create on his own. I think he's uh, really an underrated pass receiver coming out of the backfield. I really like Kayvon coming out. I think he's a natural runner with good balance. He hasn't really been utilized a great deal in the passing game, but I think he's capable of doing that. And I think we're going to give him that opportunity, you know, going forward. And Patrick Lard is a guy that I know came out of the University of California that possessed a lot of different things as far as run skills, balance, pass protection, special teams qualities. I mean, all those guys, uh, I think, fit the room real well. And I think it's going to be something that's going to be a collective group that's going to work hard together and do good things together. And also with um, Chase Evans, the guy that's played several years in this league that really can be a runner, receiver. And I think the one thing that's going to help all of them is that they all have a little bit different, unique style that's a little bit different than each other. But honestly, first time in 35 years of coaching that had ever happened. Um, no, I mean, you emphasize it. You, you talk about the importance of taking care of the football, um, not 
struggling for extra yards at certain times. Focusing on taking care of the ball, one extra yard fighting, trying to extend is not worth it. So go down, get ready for the next play. But I mean, I think every team, I think, emphasizes it. We have a bunch of drills that we do as a skill group. And I think, I mean, you focus on that, you practice it, and you become second nature when you start to fall on the ground instead of extending and brace yourself, just fall. You know, or guy grabs onto the ball, don't try to rip it, just go with him and go down. I mean, unless it's a critical, critical situation where you got to fight to get another yard in a playoff game or try to get into a playoff, it's, it's not worth the risk of losing the football. Seems like, like that philosophy marries in really well with Dave Canales, whose mantra is protect the ball. Protect the right? ball. Most importantly, I mean, we can't we can't score if we don't have it. Um, I always tell them, I said, listen, I mean, you get an opportunity to obviously catch it and run with it. But, I mean, I've always had the philosophy, you can't hold on to it. You can't, you can't play. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. Because if we can't secure the football, then we have no opportunity to score. Because now you're giving the other team, you know, another advantage and another opportunity to go down and score themselves. So taking care of the football is the number one thing that I think we got to do as a, a position, but really as a team. Uh, you don't want to give the other team any more opportunities than they already going to get. I found his answer to preventing fumbles so interesting yeah. for the fact because you hear all the time like you gotta fight for every inch you gotta right. fight for every yard and he's like yeah. nah like just hold on to the ball that's right we'll get the yard on the next play and it really got me thinking scott about a player we talked about earlier with chris godwin i think godwin fu- uh suffered from that a little bit yeah fighting to get the extra yard and that's he right. ended up fumbling the first thing that popped into my head was uh, two seasons ago when the Bucs had the – after they won the Super Bowl, they had the home yep. opener against the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. And late in that game, the Bucs were driving. They were in field goal range, very close to the end zone. Right. Godwin tried to break a tackle, extend the ball into the end yep. zone. He ended up fumbling. The Cowboys got it. The Bucs ended up winning on Tom Brady heroics <clears> at the end. Right. But that's specifically what Skip Pete is talking about. That's and right. we'll see how the Bucs implement that. Yeah, you, you got to – you know, you don't want to wave the white flag of surrender, but sometimes you have to – say onto the next play look to fight another day exactly and and uh that's going to be the mantra and and listen football at any level pop warner high school college or pro first rule of football don't beat yourself i mean monty kiffin told me that a long time ago and that's why takeaways on defense are so important because if you can take the ball away it it stifles the offensive opportunity to to score on a possession and and so there's two ways that you can just shoot yourself in the own in your own foot on offense and beat yourself. And that's penalties. And then the other one's takeaways and takeaways are even more brutal because uh, you're losing that scoring opportunity. So Rashad white had three fumbles last year, one of which was on a kickoff. And, and uh, that's something that they're going to be working on, but they're very excited about the, the talent and the potential that he has. And uh, he was also asked skip. Pete was about um, Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah. And, you know, we've heard from, sources that don't think that Zeke Elliott is going to be coming to, to Tampa wrote about that in the Bucks Monday mailbag. Um, and even, even uh, skip said, you know, Zeke has to understand that he went from making $12 million that if he wants to, to join a team, he's going to have to like come in around a million dollars. That That's a big mental jump yeah. when you go from being the workhorse back to last year, splitting carries 50, 50 with Tony Pollard and Dallas to now getting cut and having to be a complimentary back at this stage of his career. And I think that he still has some miles left on the tires. Look at Mark Ingram. He's bounced around the league, kind of back and forth between the Saints and the Ravens for a couple of years, being that type of power back, specialty back. 
And I think that's kind of where Zeke is right now. But I, I just don't see him being a, a fit in Tampa just from a monetary standpoint more than anything. Yeah, Skip Pete said that as well. We do have a video. Well, we'll post it on our social media so you can check it out there because it's a little bit longer. It's like a three-and-a-half-minute yeah. video. Um, but, yeah, he gave a lot of good insight about who's going to be the one to tell him. Who's going to yeah. be the one to tell him that you're only going to get paid a million dollars? And, you know, Zeke is a flashy player. Yeah. Not really a problematic player, but right. um, certainly has an ego. You know, he's got sure. the, the bowl thing. and. Yeah. So, yeah, he talked about that. He obviously has a good relationship with Zeke and talked about how even if he was willing, like not exactly the fit that the Bucks are looking for. And yeah. I, I thought when you talk about he's still a capable, capable running back, you see his numbers drop. He's like, yeah, no, duh. Like he's playing 50% yeah. of the snaps versus being the, right. the overall and, workhorse. And really he is that Leonard Fournette type back, really. He's more of a power back. They just got rid of Fournette. And I think you're going to see in this wide zone and mid zone run scheme, a, a guy like Chase, Chase Edmonds be even a little bit more effective. He's more of a cutback runner, and and this team is high on on you know Sean Tucker too from from Syracuse. Yep. And I think when he checks out medically, he is kind of one of those guys to watch. Uh, we're not going to see him at the rookie minicamp, except on the sidelines probably because he's not medically cleared to play yet. He had a heart condition that was discovered at the combine that basically torpedoed his draft. Um, you know, chances, but they did sign him as an undrafted free agent. They do expect that heart condition to clear up. The Bucks are going to give him a battery of tests to make sure that he is cleared medically and is ready to go. They're hopeful that he'll be ready maybe by mandatory mini camp, if not then by training camp. And this is a guy that probably is going to make that the roster as that fourth running back. And then we'll see if he can work his way up the roster and up the depth chart to maybe unseat Keyshawn Vaughn or Chase Edmonds as the backup to to um, uh, Rashad White. But Dave Canales likened him to Thomas Rawls, who was an undrafted free agent in Seattle several years ago that was their leading rusher one year. So he does have kind of that punishing cutback style that I think is going to fit well in this offense. Yeah, I asked Skip specifically about Sean Tucker, and then – he went out of his way to be like, don't sleep on uh, Ronnie Brown either. Yeah. I'm not talking about Ronnie Brown, the former Miami Dolphin that played. Yeah. That <laughs> about running back Ronnie Brown. Uh, he was yeah. high on him to go out of his way to single him out and saying that that both of them, uh, you know, they have a skill set that, that fits this offense, uh, pr pretty solid receivers as well. And the new zone blocking scheme is really going to benefit uh, these two players. So that's just another name to keep your eye on. We've talked a lot about, Sean Tucker, but uh, Skip Pete, big fan of uh, of Ronnie yes. too. So, uh, so no doubt covering this weekend. Yeah, so um, you know that was that was kind of the recap of of what happened in the press conferences. Boy, just a breath of fresh air talking to Dave Canales, right? Um, yes, the human you know, Celsius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seriously, he he is the human Celsius. There's no doubt about that. Um, very insightful. Very open. Not condescending, kind of a, a departure from the last offensive coordinator, right? Um, yeah. So I don't know. I, I think this team is in good hands. I think this team is going to be a sleeper. And a lot of people writing off the Buccaneers, including Peter King, with uh, his brilliant analysis, you know, hope the Super Bowl was worth it, right? <laughs> Number 31 in his power rankings. I don't see this team being that bad. I really don't. There's just there's enough talent. There's a lot of hunger, a lot of excitement. There is going to be some growing pains and some bumps and bruises along the way. As this new offense begins to take hold, we even saw that in 2002, Matt, when John Gruden brought his offense from Oakland to 
Tampa Bay and you had a bunch of veterans like Brad Johnson and Keyshawn Johnson and Keenan McCardell mm -hmm. and Joe Jervicious and Michael Pittman and Mike Allstott. Uh, it took them a while to kind of get the ball rolling. I think it's going to take a little while here, but I, I like the fortifications that they've done on defense. And I, I'm cautiously optimistic. I think Baker Mayfield probably emerges as the quarterback. And, and, uh, and if not, um, if, if Kyle Trask beats Baker Mayfield out, to me, Kyle Trask is the ultimate sleeper, and he's, he's ready to go then, right? Yeah, this roster – it's not perfect. There's still <clears throat> there's still holes on it, but this is a better team than second to last in the entire NFL. Yeah, um, I got to give a shout out to Luke Easterling as well. I believe he tweeted this. Uh, he was essentially talking about the fact that everyone thought the Seattle Seahawks were going to be terrible last year. That's right. They traded Russell Wilson, and they ended up making the postseason. So, yeah. if you want to sleep on the Bucks now, which is again crazy because a lot right. of people are pointing to that. Yeah, as Kyle Trask points in this picture. Yep. That, you know, the quarterback situation needs to be figured out. It does. You know what? Like, it does, too, in Atlanta. I don't think Atlanta's, right. a, like, a much better quarterback situation. Derek Carr, very well established in New Orleans. You know, Bryce Young, first overall pick. We've seen plenty of number one picks at quarterback fail. We saw one here in Tampa, Jameis Winston. We saw one here in Tampa. We saw a guy that was a number yeah. one pick that is now in Tampa, and it didn't work out in right. his last stop. So just to, like, to pencil in Bryce Young to be – automatic already as a great player um I, I just think i just think it's silly oh one last thing the other coach that we haven't mentioned yet that we yeah. spoke to thad lewis went from being an assistant wide receivers coach to now the quarterbacks coach um interesting for him just in terms of he was a backup in his career in the nfl and obviously played college so yeah he said it's kind of a similar situation where you're the backup you're helping out the starter giving him information you're still watching film mm -hmm. and, and all that stuff so uh, I wouldn't worry too much about him moving to coaching a different position. It's a position that he played. Yeah. I think he's going to be very well prepared. And there's a reason he's still on this coaching staff because there's right. a lot of offensive coaches that aren't here anymore, but he stayed uh, with this with this new coaching staff with Dave Canales. Yeah. So uh, and yeah, don't we, worry about that. Lewis. We want you to stay with us tomorrow night for the Bucks schedule release. That's right. The Bucks schedule release, that's going to happen at 8 o'clock tomorrow night. We'll probably have the schedule out by then, I would think. Some Yes, there'll be some leaks for sure. But 8 o'clock p.m., we'll be back on the Pewter Reports uh, podcast for that. And then also this weekend, uh, Friday and Saturday nights, recapping day one and day two of the Bucks rookie minicamp. We'll be at, a, at uh, the team's headquarters both days. So make sure that you stay tuned Friday and Saturday night as we talk about uh, the players that stood out and give our first impressions. And make sure that you are checking out pewterreport.com, the mothership. That's where we have all of our Bucks coverage and all our stories. And make sure you follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We're actually growing our Facebook page by leaps and bounds. So make sure if you're following us on Twitter or on YouTube that you also follow us on Facebook. We've got some great content up there as well. And, of course, Pewter Report TV, that's here on YouTube. Make sure yeah. that you are liking our videos. Make sure that you subscribe. Whenever you like the videos, it just lets more pewter people know about us it gets us up in the algorithms and we really appreciate it we appreciate everybody all you pewter people turning tuning in today for the latest edition of the pewter report podcast we're going to do it again tomorrow night matt at eight o'clock yes we are we love all you pewter people that's going to do it for us on today's show for scott reynolds i'm matt matera saying thanks everybody for watching and we'll see you tomorrow night for the schedule reveal for another edition of the pewter report podcast out out how many primetime games are the bucks going to get hopefully at least one